know, that was really the um, kind of a strange introduction for a guy who's felt most of his life, quite honestly, as if I was incompetent, unproductive, and foolish. Um, That's not true. <laughs> well, I don't know. I might be able to present some fairly... Uh, Good arguments to that effect. Well, we'll argue you back down. Okay. But, but one of the things I love about Ken Helser when he was here last week, and, and I, I hold Ken Helser in very high regard. I've known him for decades, and I consider him to be a, a very close friend. Um, he was instrumental in the process Kathy and I made the decision to become missionaries. Um, he was the first guy that ever gave us an offering. He said, I think you really should go. And, and so he was very key. But one of the things that, uh, that has always impressed me about Ken is he's real. You know, there's no pretension about it. Uh, last week he shared a very powerful story about how, you know, he'd been, I don't know, has anybody else fought with your wife about Christmas decorations or anything? Come on now, have the truth. Buy the truth and sell it. No, I, you know, I'm not a fan of Christmas. Um, at least the way we celebrate it uh, with all this kind of stuff. And, and so, uh, and I know what it's like. He got in a big fight with his wife and then had to go preach. <laughs> Now, I'll, that's happened to me before. It, maybe Ken and I are the only two pastors that's ever happened to. Yeah, but Becky and Byron have fought on the front row before, you know. That's what Becky said. I'm just repeating the Facebook people what she said. Um, but there's this... Um, there's this wonderful scripture, it's not in the list I gave, but it's, it's 2 Corinthians 12, 9, uh, where Paul is saying what Jesus said, said to him. He's, and Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities then uh, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know, the world is not looking for people who pretend to be holier than thou. The world wants to know someone who knows him. Not that... that that we present ourselves as having all the answers. You know what? One of the, the, the toughest things is, is like when you go to a funeral and you feel like you just don't know what to say. But it's not important what you say. It's just important that you show up. Right. You know what I'm saying? I've been, um, for the last few months, I've been sort of chewing on a little bitty scripture in John. Uh, John 17, verse 3. And, and I'll tell you why this, this scripture, I want to tell a little bit about how I, 
how this has become sort of like a constant source of meditation for me over the past couple of months. Uh, John 17, verse 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's eternal life. Eternal life begins when you know Him because when you are in Him, you are in the eternal. You make that transition from the temporal to the eternal when you get to know Him. I've, I've got to know this pretty little girl over there in the blue sweater. Raise your hand, Kathy. That's my, that's my friend, Kathy. We've not quite been married 50. We've, we're going, it's about 46 and a half for us. Um, and uh, because of what I do and how our life works out, I'm away from Kathy quite often. You know, when I travel, I'll be gone for up to a month at a time. I try not to be gone longer than a month on a trip without Kathy, but it's, it's the oddest thing. The, the love I have for that cute little girl is real to me. It may be the most real thing in my life other than my love for Jesus Christ. And when I'm gone, the longer I'm gone, the more intense that feeling, that connectedness, I realize that's my anchor, that love that we share, that love that we have. And it's like the longer I'm gone, the more I miss her. And the more I want to see her. Now see, that's not philosophical. That's not theoretical. That is experiential. That is an experience. That is a reality in my life. And you know, your experience always trumps anyone else's opinion. Your opinion of Kathy doesn't affect my experience with Kathy. You see? Okay, now there's a reason I'm talking about that because I want, you see, that knowing Christ is also, for probably most people here in this room, is also an experiential reality. Wouldn't you say that? It doesn't seem real religious to me. I don't consider myself a religious guy. I don't have, you know, I'm really not. But I do love Jesus. Now that to me is, is an experiential reality. It's not religious. It's not philosophical. It's not theoretical. And so it doesn't really matter what someone else's opinion is. My experience trumps their opinion of whether that is even possible or not. Yep. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. 
I think we were, you know, I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir. I know you guys believe this. I would, um, I'd like to cue up those pictures, if I could. In, in September and October, that transition, I took a little walk over in Spain. Um, and I was walking down a trail. Now, the, the, this, this trail that I walked on is called the Camino de Santiago, or the Way of St. James. Now, uh, when Jesus was on the mountain of ascension, you know, when He had been uh, crucified and resurrected and then spent some time with His disciples and He was getting ready to ascend into heaven, He said, you're going to be witnesses for Me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, during that period of history, there was a place that was called the end of the earth. It's called Finisterre. Finisterre is the northwestern corner of Spain. It's the most western part of Europe. That's where in the Roman Empire times, they thought the world stopped. And so the Romans called it in Latin, Finisterre means the end of the earth. And so James, the brother of John, the apostle James, took off walking soon after Jesus ascended into heaven and went to the end of the earth and preached the gospel there. And he was there for a few years. This is what church tradition says all this. He was there preaching the gospel, but had really meager results. After three or four years preaching his little heart out at the end of the earth, there was only a couple of dozen people that believed. And so we don't really know whether James got discouraged and felt like a failure and decided to go home, or if they'd sent somebody to look for him and brought him back to Jerusalem. So he comes directly back to Jerusalem, you know, and he's only there a short while until Herod cuts his head off. Now that doesn't really sound like a very successful missionary career, does it, Paul? It didn't work out that well. At least in modern ways of thinking about success in life. But you see, there's... There's a carnal way, there's a temporal way, there's a human way of thinking about things, and there's also a kingdom way to think about things. Well, two of the guys that had believed, two, they weren't, well, Spain didn't even exist at that time, but two of the Gallegos that were up there in northwestern Spain came all the way back to Jerusalem with James, and they loved him so much, they gathered up his bones and took it back to where he had preached the gospel and buried him there. And so that, you know, they made us like a little shrine. They buried him where he had preached the gospel in this little town called Compostela, uh, the field of stars. And so time passes, you know, there's Romans and Visigoths, and then eventually Islam conquers the Iberian Peninsula. 
the Muslims come across the Straits of Gibraltar and they begin to conquer all of Spain and Portugal. And they drive all of the, the locals and Christianity, they conquer them. And so they destroy all the churches and everything that had grown up in Spain. They were burning all those churches and so they hid the bones of St. James. But his bones were rediscovered in 843 when King Alfonso II discovered his tomb and began to push Islam back out of Spain. And it all started up in northwestern Spain. And so people started going there because they used St. James. This, this tomb of St. James is like a focal point of where Christianity began to retake the nations of Spain and Portugal that we call today or the Iberian Peninsula. Long story, way long story, right? Well, that's where that path goes. That's a path that people have walked on since the year 843 to go there to visit the tomb of St. James. You can go to the next slide. And you go to that. This is a little hiker hut. You know, where people would take shelter from the storm. That little stone hut was built sometime around the year 1000. And you're walking down these little paths in northern Spain that people have walked on for 1200 years seeking an answer from God. And you get this, this, this idea of, I mean, it's just incredible. I, I only felt that up in Jerusalem. Any other time, you know, you walk where Jesus, or they say tourists go, they run where Jesus walked. You know, you go over there and you, you run through all the places that Jesus was in two weeks, you know. And uh, But there's this sense of gravitas or something, this, this uh, people have walked this path looking, for God for 1,200 years. And go, go to the next one. Uh, and you're walking through mountains like this. It reminded me of the Smoky Mountains. It was, it was beautiful. And the, the next one will go on. And um, you even come to places like this was up on top of a mountain. They told me I'd die if I went up there, but I went anyway. Um, because the weather was so bad and people get lost in the fog and die of hypothermia and everything, but it turned out okay. Um, but along this path uh, is where the whole concept of hospitals was invented. They would the, the pilgrims that were walking on this path, the order of St. James and St. John would have hospitality centers and medical centers to take care of the pilgrims that were going to Santiago de Compostela, that were going to this town. And this is the ruins of one that was built sometime in around 1200 up on top of the mountain. It's kind of fun. That day it was about 25 degrees and raining and about a 20 mile an hour wind and it was, it was a good hiking day. But you, you go into these, you visit these old wall cities and and, and one thing or another. Uh, and then what's happening is all of these pilgrims are walking along and uh, you have to stay in the hostels. You, you're not allowed to camp in people's backyards or anything over there. And so you have to stay and you, you, you become friends with these little groups of people. 
because you're basically going in stages. You may not walk together. Actually, I, I got the nickname Purple. Because it was, it was kind of a joke. You know, Aesop's fables, you know, the tortoise and the hare. You know, the, 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 the old slow turtle, he's trugging along, you know, and he beats the, the fast rabbit. Well, what would happen, European hiking is like this, you know. You get up in the morning, you have breakfast, and then you start walking. You walk for about two hours, and then you stop for a cappuccino and a piece of cake. <laughs> and then... You walk again for about two hours and, you, and you, you stop for an hour and eat lunch. And then you walk another two or three hours and you stop at one of the hospitals and that's where you stay for the night. That's the European style hiking. Well, I'm too old to do that. If I sit down, my bones get stiff and I can't get back up again. You know, So I just keep a power bar and my, the waist belt of my backpack and I'd walk along and you know, I, as I would be, I'd leave early and I'd be walking along and these young bucks would pass me and then stop for a cappuccino. <laughs> but I'd keep on walking because if I sat down, I'd get stiff. And, and then they'd pass me again. And then they'd stop for lunch and I'd eat another power bar and keep on walking, you know. And, and so it got to be a joke with this one group of about 25 or 30 people. They, they would ask me the question, how many times a day can the rabbits pass the turtle? <laughs> but we would eat with it. And that, there's two Brazilian girls over here. There was a guy down there from Spain. He was from Barcelona, the old guy at the end of the table. But he couldn't speak Spanish. He only spoke. <laughs> I'm really not. And, and I resisted the idea of even talking about this. But as, go to the next slide. Let's get through this stuff. But all the hikers are going to this place. This is the Cathedral of St. James. You all wind up at the same spot. And for two or three weeks, you're walking basically in unison, in a loose unison with this same group of people. And so go to the last one, I think. Yeah, that's the Cathedral. Um... And the bones of St. James are in there. And if you stand in line for five hours, you can hook the back of a statue for 15 seconds. And then a guy with a stick will hit you. And make you <laughs> but I'm a little Baptist boy, and I didn't care that much about hugging a statue, so I didn't stand in line for five hours. I won't stand in line for five, five hours for much. Um, but I had intimate conversations with about 25 or 30 people while I was on this trip. Where we would, you know, you'd have a meal together and then you'd sit around for a couple of hours and you'd talk about things. And I went with a purpose. I went to understand people's hearts. And I didn't meet a single American, not one person from the United States. I met people from Slovenia and from Hungary and Austria and Sweden and Denmark and Germany and France and England and Ireland and Brazil and Uruguay and Australia and New Zealand. People from all over the world. Russia. I didn't meet one single person 
who knew the Lord. On a spiritual pilgrimage, I did not meet one single person. And I would try to get at it, not just have it in the cultural way that we approach that. But I couldn't, I did not meet one single individual who knew the Lord in reality as a person, as a friend, as a Lord. Almost everyone, I, they classified themselves, to have a term for it, as a hopeful agnostic. Everyone hoped that God was real. Some of them were sort of counting on it. But no one knew Him. Think about that. The reason I wanted to share that is... Uh, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, let's, let's just go to Second Corinthians uh, chapter 4. But I want to start in verse 16 or 6. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6 says this For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Who has shown in our heart. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Out of my failures, out of my weakness, out of my lack, God has decided to shine His light. <coughs> Arthur Burt used to say this, this crazy thing. He would say, if, if God were to withdraw the Holy Spirit from the church, most of the church's activities would go on unchanged. Most people would not even notice His absence. And only a few would find themselves unable. I'm one of those unables. If the Holy Spirit doesn't help me, man, I'm messed up. I'm empty. I've got nothing to give. You see what I'm saying? Does anybody else feel that way? The world's not looking for what we've got to offer. The world's not looking for another opinion. The world's not looking for another religion. The world is looking for a strong dose of reality. Do you know Him? If you know Him, you have the eternal light of God in you right now. 
verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. You do not have to present yourself as someone who has all the answers. Who's someone who has all the power. All you have to do is just in reality know Him. Let Him be your Lord. Let Him be your, your sufficiency. That's all. It's so easy. It's so simple. It's so easy. Lord, help me make this transition. I need to turn a corner here <laughs> to get to where I want to go, and I don't know how to get around the corner. Lord, help me. You know, we sang a song this morning. Joy to the world. The Savior reigns. The Lord has come. Do you know that's not a Christmas song? That's a second coming song. That's what it was written for. It was written as a second coming song. That's good. Come on. It was written as a second coming song. I believe the Lord is coming. I believe the Lord is here, but I also believe He's coming. And we are to announce His coming. I believe that the Holy Spirit is being poured out in the earth today. But we're in danger of being so distracted that we miss it. I believe there's somewhere between 50 and 100 people in the United States that decides what 90% of the population in the United States thinks about every day. We live in a day when almost everyone is offended about something. We have become a generation that it's easy to offend. You have to be careful. There's a lot of social media postings about what you can and should and shouldn't talk about at the holidays with your family. Because people that love each other will get offended with each other. Very easily, very quickly about the opinions that are being fomented by less than a hundred people. Yeah. 
those people who control the topics of conversation in the media outlets of newspapers and radio and television are defining how we think about things and what is important to think about. Is there anyone that can offer me a better definition of the term mind control than what we see going on in the United States of America today. Our minds are being controlled. I'm not, ta I'm not taking sides here. I'm not talking. I'm, I'm, I'm probably the least conservative or liberal person you know. I just am... I've got positions on far ends of that spectrum depend on what the issue is. You know, I'm not talking about any of that. I'm saying, what are we thinking about? What is our focus on? Is our focus on, the, on things that are in heaven or things that are in the earth? Philippians. Where'd they hide Philippians? I thought it was right there. <clears throat> I just want to. I want to. I want to read this. Uh, I'm going to back up on you. I don't know if you can do this real quick. I want to start Philippians four four. It says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Now, is that, is that a, a sound thing to think about? The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Let me say it again. I want you to get this. The Lord is at hand. He is here. He is in control. He is still sovereign over the affairs of men. I think that's a very fruitful thought to have. Be anxious for nothing. think anxiety about issues is prevalent in the thought life of our nation today? We're anxious about everything. And everybody's got a different opinion. We're anxious. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. You know, I saw a little thing the other day. You know, gratitude produces happiness. Yeah. Yes. Think about the moments in your life when you were the most grateful. The birth of a child. Oh, baby. That is, 
It's really hard not to be happy. It's really hard not to be happy. You know, I remember when, when Kathy, you know, birthing our firstborn was really long and tedious and difficult and lasted all night long. There was, you know, all the complications with childbirth that could go wrong. We'd already lost two or three, so we were a bit nervous, you know. So, it, and, then, and then Nova comes and... You know, and, and it was just like, it just, Kathy went from this transition, oh no, this hurts so bad, I can't do this anymore, to, I want to have another one. <laughs> I mean, it was like, I got whiplash. <laughs> you know, it, she went from this desperate, I don't think this is possible, wow, there's a baby, let's have another one. It was just like, you know, this gratitude, this thankfulness, you know, gratitude in any form makes you happy. Entitlement makes you unhappy. I deserve something I don't have. Makes you unhappy, doesn't it? By very definition, by nature, thankfulness is a life giver. We need to promote, cultivate, Bathe in, saturate in thankfulness, in gratitude for the things that we do have. Yes. Yes. These are the way, this is the way to have the fragrance of Christ about you. If you are a thankful, joy-filled, happy person, people will want to know what's going on with you. If you're anxious and nervous and opinionated and rigid about whatever the issue, not so much. <laughs> I would really, I'm becoming more and more convinced that the Christian life is really simple. It is. It's just, it's just simple. It's really simple. Love Jesus. Do what it says in the Bible. Be happy. Love other people. All that stuff is good stuff, right? It's not complicated. Even I can understand it. The older I get, I find the simpler. Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which suppresses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I believe that it is radically imperative and important that the body of Christ learns to guard our minds. Guard your mind, because there are slimy, dark, malevolent forces at work in the world to corrupt our way of thinking. It is trying to manipulate the way we perceive the world around us that is not according to truth or the Bible, which is synonymous, you know, but our perceptions our perceptions. It says, 
Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them or cause them to stumble. If the law of the Lord is at work in our thought process, we will not be easily offended. If you find yourself quickly offended about different issues, your perception of reality will not be true. Offense causes a distortion of perception. You will never perceive the reality of what's going on in the world around you while you're offended. You just can't see the truth. You can't see the truth when you're offended. Therefore, we need to guard our hearts against offense. Or anything that causes us to have judgment against other people in our heart. Reject that. No matter how logical it is presented to you by mass media outlets. If we were to believe the, the way the world presents things, you would think the world was falling apart. You'd think everybody's mad at each other. That everybody hates each other. Do you really see that when you go out? Do you see that in your daily life? I don't see it. I see people being relic. Yeah, there's a few bad apples out there. But the problem today is we are exposed on a daily basis to every single negative thing happening in society worldwide. Something goes wrong in Jerusalem, you hear about it. Something goes wrong in London, you hear about it. Something goes wrong in Poughkeepsie, Illinois, you're going to hear about it. <laughs> Nobody's telling you about the small acts of kindness that are done repetitively day in and day out. I mean, we, we, we see it here all the time, you know. These old grizzled Marines that people would think you make you think are the most hateful people on the planet Earth, you know? And what they're doing, man, they're buying bicycles for kids and putting them together and Toys for Tots. It's famous. All those guys at Toys for Tots are old Marine War veterans who are supposed to be the most despicable people on the planet, right? I don't see when I perceive through the eyes of Jesus a world that is that distorted. I see people that gather around that table in Spain that were hungry for God but never had met anyone who even confessed to knowing Him personally. The people I talked to were just shattered by the idea that I said I personally knew God. It wasn't a religion. Yeah, I talk to him. Yeah, he talks to me. Just something that simple. They began I, the interrogations. I suffered because I said. That. 
I went there hoping to be interrogated on that very issue. Guard your hearts. Guard your minds. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatever things are good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate. On these things. This is my heart's cry for you, the people I love. I feel so honored to be able to come in here in this church and sit with you guys. I know a lot of your stories. I can perceive the anointing on you. To have a community of believers like this that'll let me come in the door? <laughs> Tell me God doesn't do miracles. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? What I want for you is that, that your thoughts would be on these things. That in this next year, we will have less anxiety troubling your heart. How many had anxious moments this past year? I did. Now, all of us, all of us, all of us suffer tragedies. We suffer difficulties. We suffer things in this life. Nobody gets out unscathed. You know, everybody goes through junk. But we do not have to let it have dominion or victory over us. Because we have the eternal God residing in our hearts. And His love and His presence in us is not theoretical. It is true. It is real. It is tangible. God do a brainwashing. Yeah. Yeah. Really? You know what I'm saying? I want all the lies gone. Yeah. Yeah. I want all the deception gone. I want to see things clearly through kingdom eyes. I want to perceive this world the way Jesus wants me to perceive it. That I am loved. That I'm cared for. That I'm accepted. That I am powerful because the Holy Spirit of the living God dwells in me. I can do all things that He has called me to do. I want that to be the secret thoughts of my heart when the day wasn't so nice. When things didn't go the way I had planned. But that I will know in the pit of my gut and in the depths of my heart, that Jesus is still on the throne and Lord of my life. The world needs to know you. That's what I'm saying. 
Out there in the world, outside of our little Christian bubbles we run around in, if you go out and you mix it up with the general populace of Europe, I'll guarantee you, not many of them have ever met anyone who actually knew the Lord. Of all the people I met walking around in northern Spain in September and October, I didn't meet a single solitary one. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? You have life. You have life. I'm going to make a big one. You are the light of the world. Amen. You are the hope of the world. You are the power of God in tangible form, walking around on two legs in the midst of this world. That's the truth. That is absolutely the truth. And you don't have to pretend to be more than you are. Right. You can be like Kim Helzer. You can be in a fight with somebody you love dearly and still have the Holy Spirit show up. Isn't that wonderful? That God's sovereignty took into account my stupidity. That the anointing of the Holy Spirit is with me even when I don't know it. Wasn't that a wonderful story about an ugly chocolate pie that Kim told you? He didn't even understand why he was messing up his deviled eggs with that ugly chocolate pie. And then he goes over and he sits on a rock and he says, man, that was, that was the stupidest thing I think I've ever done. And he said, no, that wasn't you, it was me. The Lord says, that was me doing that because I was worried about that woman not feeling bad. I said, that was a small thing, that's a stupid thing. The smallest act of kindness that you do with the intent of glorifying Jesus Christ is powerful. The smallest act of kindness that you do in the name of Jesus Christ can transform someone's life. You know, it's not the big deal stuff done from a platform with a microphone that transforms people's lives. That's what I wanted to say this morning. I see the Lord in you. I see the Holy Spirit upon you. Rejoice. This is the season to be thankful for what we've been given. Isn't that That's all I got to say. Jim actually just preached another version of what we talked about at the women's retreat. You don't even know that. It's really amazing. I just want to say this, and um, you can all just go ahead and stand up, but 
I believe what Jim preached this morning that the church is in a shift. We're in a major shift in the spirit realm. And I believe what he shared this morning is where we're headed. The church really understands who we are and the glory to be revealed. And this week, um, Byron sent me something. Dutch, Dutch Sheets, who is a prophetic guy, is actually prophesying this, that the church is in a shift and we're headed in a new direction. There's a new move of God coming on the earth and it looks like this. And I'm excited. I mean, because, you know, I, I believe that it's, the world is so desperate for every thing that is in us and we are the people of God and his light is shining in us and it doesn't take much and the thing I love about what Jim preached is this and I just really I want him to get it to Jim because I believe this is where we're headed because the scripture is very clear this is why we're here to be salt and light to be the God flavors in the earth and the God colors in the earth it's very clear and it's very simple and I say this, I believe that we've made it way too complicated. And, and the wonderful Pentecostal charismatic church has made it way too complicated too. We're just as guilty as everybody else. We get so hung up on all these other things, but it's simple. This is why we're here. And we are in a major shift, and I'm excited this is our season we're going into. The world is going to eat the bread of life. And we are the bread. We're it. And, I, and everybody, this is the thing. It takes what's happening on this stage to another. It, it, this is, we just come together to celebrate. And to gather and be renewed. But the real stuff is out there. And it's time for the walls to come down. We have been in here too long. And people get, the reason we get opinionated is because we're not out there. It really is the truth. You have a purpose. I have a purpose. Everywhere my feet trod, I have a purpose. I'm salt and I'm light in the grocery line. I'm salt and light as a neighbor. I'm salt and light as a brother and a sister. I'm salt and light wherever God sends me in my job, teaching, where with my children. This is where we're headed. We have to get out the walls of these churches of what happens in here. This is holding us back. And it's time. It's time. It's so powerful. You know, the Lord, I mean, this women's retreat, Ken Helser preached this. Jim's preaching it. We need to hear it. So, amen. So, amen. amen. So, if you want this, put your hand up. If you're ready for this shift, and it's so exciting because <clears throat> it takes really a yoke off of us that we don't know we've been walking in. It's a heavy yoke. It's a heavy chain. And I believe the Lord is bringing down right now a heavenly filter upon our minds. Woo, that's good. He really wants to start filtering out all the junk from the world's voice, from religion's voice. He really is sending us to the world to be bread for the hungry. 
ask you right now in the name of Jesus. All this wrong thinking, the way we think. Lord, you and right now, Holy Spirit, put that filter on our minds. We begin to filter it all out, Lord. We be able to see the way heaven sees. The way heaven thinks. God, thank you, Lord. Lord, we just say away from the noise. Away from all the noise. Away. Take us away. Take us away from all the noise, God. Thank you, Lord. With all that Ken Helser said last week, this is what stuck with me. A prophet had come up to him and said, you're going to have a son. Your name is Jonathan David. And he will sing songs to glorify me that the world would hear. And we think of Jonathan Helser like, wow, what a great break he got getting with, um, I forget, whatever. <laughs> yeah, Bethel. But that wasn't a great break. That was God fulfilling what he had destined Jonathan to do from before he was born. And when I left church Sunday, I was thinking, I know a prophet didn't come up to my parents and say anything about me, but it doesn't make it any less than God knowing the plan he had for me. And if he didn't come up to my parents, he would say, you're going to have a boy and he is going to dot, dot, dot. And I haven't been able to stop thinking about what is my dot, dot, dot. See, Jonathan's where he is today, not because of anything great about Jonathan, but he did do one thing. He didn't rebel against God, and he let God's plan for his life come to pass. He let God's plan for his life come to pass. So, what is your dot, dot, dot? If the prophet came to your parents and said, this is what your life would be, are you living your dot, dot, dot? Are you being what God has created you to be? Which is everything that Jim has just talked about, which is everything that Becky has just talked about. And this is the time to step into our dot, dot, dot. So no condemnation if the answer is no, I'm not living it. But let's respond to God's dot, dot, dot for our life. I would just like to, people just come forward. You just come forward. We'll just come for a minute. Just come up and respond.